Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Oh my gosh. Good. I feel like this is one of those, this is one of the episodes that, or one of the recordings in particular that I'm most looking forward to because, you know, we talk about how we know each other's like basic stories, like what our kind of journey looked like. We've both done, you know, interviews and shared our story. They're out there or whatever, but you and I like just having a conversation around it, that like, that excites me because it gives me also that opportunity to know you on a, you know, a deeper level as well. And this is, I'm excited to do it this way. Yay. I'm excited too. I'm excited too. Should I just like go for it? Just start talking about drinking? Yeah. <laughs> How did you end up here? How did I end up here? Well, gosh, Mead, let me go take you way back to high school. <laughs> no, so seriously, I was actually a real control freak growing up and never really liked to be too out of control. So let's go back to high school. Uh, the very first time I tried alcohol was with my best friend, Holly. She's still my best friend to this day. Shout out to Hula Hana Hana Huda Holly. Was at her mom's house. Her mom was a flight attendant. And so she was on a job somewhere. Like, I don't even remember where. But we decided to try tequila at her house. <laughs> and so, of course, like, it made us sick. I believe one, if not both of us, vomited a lot. And yeah, I just, I wasn't that into it. It didn't taste that good. And I went to a very, we both went to a very strict Baptist high school. And so we weren't even allowed to have dances, much less drink. And we, I was on student council and I was co-captain of like the cheerleading squad and I didn't, and I wanted to get into a good college, the whole thing. So I'm like, I'm not getting caught with alcohol and getting kicked out of school so that I can't get into college. So for me, like I know a lot of, you know, a lot of gals start in high school, but that was kind of like one of the few times I tried it in high school, I didn't like it. It made me feel sick. And I knew it was just going to like not do good things if anybody found out that I was drinking. So I, I went on from high school to USC. I'm from Los Angeles originally. I joined a sorority. I was a DG. And of course, in college, tons and tons of drinking. But again, the control freak in me like was just a little bit too nervous. And USC is in downtown LA. It never fight, felt, felt like too safe to be out of control. Like I saw girlfriends like stumbling, stumbling home from the bars getting like held up at gunpoint and like scary things. You know, I just I didn't want to put myself in that position. So while I drank, like, don't get me wrong, I did drink like I was, as I said, in a sorority, like lots of parties, but I never got too out of control. But it was definitely like you know, an uptick from high school. It was definitely the thing to do. It was definitely the expected thing to be done. And then my junior year at SC, I decided to study abroad over here in London, which is where I now live. But I went to the London School of Economics for my junior year. And I think something about being an expat, or I guess at that point, a student studying abroad, you know, in England, everything that you possibly do is at the pub. You study at the pub, you meet friends at the pub, you do everything at the pub. And plus, there was just like this desire to be, you know, grown up and sophisticated. And people over here were drinking since they were 18. So for everybody else, it was very 
normal to just like be drinking, drinking, drinking. So I definitely saw, I guess, an uptick when I first kind of studied in London. Went back to LA after that year, studied for the LSATs, ended up at Pepperdine for law school, chose Pepperdine primarily because they had a London program because I definitely like got like the London bug. I was like, I didn't have enough time over there. I want more. And so I I went to Pepperdine, met my husband, Chris, our very first day of law school. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, drinking was definitely very much part of our like dating story, our love story. We did a lot of wine tasting together. We came over here to London our second year of law school. There was a lot of like traveling throughout Europe, drinking wine. We decided we were going to start a collection for our future children, like really into the wine thing. Super like just obsessed with wine, the whole thing. So there was definitely then again, like, you know, more drinking for a different reason, you know, like it was a it was. Well, I guess twofold. First of all, it was like we were still in law school. So I was using it to manage stress and anxiety and like nervousness about school and all of that. And then it was also like the thing to do to relax and unwind. And it was also like part of my love story, you know, kind of just like really wove it in there with like us dating and everything like that. So we wrap up law school. Chris gets a job in England, London. We we permanently move back over here. And again, it's like the expat lifestyle, all of the women's clubs. Like I joined all these women's clubs because I'm like, I need to meet people. It's funny, though. I was really lucky because I kind of studied here at various times. I picked up groups of friends along the way. But then when we permanently moved here, I joined like the American Women's Club and the Kensington and Chelsea Women's Society and all this stuff. And everything, again, was centered around drinking at the pub or drinks. Let's go get drinks, 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 drinks. So it was just like, yeah, I mean, it was the thing to do, right? It was the it was the thing that you did after a day of work is that, yeah, you had drinks. I worked in Parliament for a little bit, about a year, and there are multiple pubs in the Houses of Parliament. <laughs> yes, it's bananas. Wow. So, you know, the four o'clock, five o'clock bell would hit and you would just like literally go downstairs. You didn't even have to leave the office and have drinks and then any sort of like committee meetings or anything if they were after in the afternoons or even sometimes at lunch would serve wine so very much a part of the culture over here obviously and then I got pregnant with my daughter Ella she is now 12 and I was like the only person that I knew that was having a baby at that time and I didn't have any family over here and I didn't have any friends over here having a baby it just felt like really lonely. It felt really lonely. And when I had her, again, it was like join the groups. And so one of the things that they do over here is called NCT. It's like a prenatal class, right? So you make these friends when you're pregnant that are all like giving birth, like in the same area at the same time. And what do you do when you have the baby? You meet your NCT group for what? For drinks. And we're sitting there like on the King's Road, like rocking our newborn babies, like with Rose and just like that's what it was. And the mommy wine culture thing was real. It was what we were supposed to do because we were exhausted young moms. It's just like drink to survive. <laughs> so when I look back at my like quote unquote drinking journey, the the uptick with after Ella was was real. And yeah, I mean, I just I remember we had we had a night nanny one night and instead of like using those precious hours to actually sleep which is what I needed because Ella was a terrible sleeper. I just literally went in my room and like drank 
red wine, I think, and watched a reality show instead of, you know, and that's what I thought was like my break. That's what I thought was like what I needed. I just needed to switch off. And I mean, I'm sure we'll talk tons and tons about what alcohol really does to your sleep. But that was just, you know, sabotage, actually sabotaging my mothering. (laughs) And so Ella's ticking along and then I get pregnant with our son Carter and he was an emergency C-section and in the the NICU, the neonatal unit for just a few days. But I had wild postpartum after him and and didn't know how to handle it and yeah it was just it was all those feelings that I never had when I had Ella like I was obsessed with her I wanted to be around her every like I thought everything that she did was incredible and amazing and with Carter like I felt like I didn't know him I didn't really like want to hang out with him I was fine if somebody else dealt with it I felt like there was no connection there I saw some like really weird osteopath that told me it's because he like we were both experiencing trauma from the birth. I don't even know if that's real, but I don't know what it was, but I didn't feel connected to him whatsoever. And it made me depressed. And obviously it made me feel like a bad mom Mm -hmm. because, yeah, you're supposed to love your son. You're supposed to love this like baby. Like, you know, obviously, I mean, I could go on and on about this, but we see women struggling to get pregnant. And I have this like, beautiful baby boy and I don't even I I am fine if I don't even hold him for the day like it was just wild and so the polar opposite of what I felt with Ella and now don't get me wrong I'm obsessed with him he's like the best thing ever and I I love him so so much but it was so weird when he was a newborn I was just not into it and so my drinking increased you know and it really really it really increased and I for the first time like I felt like I was using it really really to cope with being sad depressed feeling like I wasn't good enough like I wasn't a good enough mom but then also like all those mommy wine you know all those mommy wine propaganda I guess you could say are coming hard and fast at you I am meeting people other moms all the time that's what we did for like let's meet in the park and you put the wine bottles under you know they call them a pram here not a stroller you put the wine bottles under the pram and they'd be clink clink clinking all the way to the park so you could sit there and drink and so I just like you know I just like think I like began to just feel progressively more hooked on it and and sadder and more tired and all the things that happen when you are drinking you know an addictive drug every day not sleeping etc And then my mom passed away in 2018, 2018, I think, 2018 or 2019. And it was just all the things, all the the horrible, horrible things that happen when you lose your mom. I mean, compounded by the fact that we had a really complicated relationship where we were very, very close my entire adult life. She never touched a drop of alcohol my entire childhood, but ended up deciding to start to drink the year I got married, which changed her personality and it made her really jealous and it made her really angry that I was living abroad. And so we just had this really tumultuous, like we went from like being best friends to like almost like enemies and I didn't ever know what I was going to get and so when she passed away it was like all these crazy emotions of like I was mourning this like my best friend my mom that I like adored that I loved with all my heart but then was also like angry because I was like how could you do this to me how could you like 
you know, have their last few years of your life on this earth be where we're arguing and, and, you know, her cause of death is still like really confusing to everybody in my family, but it was definitely 100% didn't help that she was drinking as much as she did. And so I blamed her a lot, right? I blamed her a lot for like taking those years away from my kids and me and, you know, the whole thing. And, and it's so funny because one of the reasons that she started really drinking was because she lost her dad. And so what did I do? Surprise, surprise. I lost her and I just like, I hit the, I don't know, off switch, on switch. And I just, I just wanted to be, I just wanted to be drinking. And this looked like not wanting to be home. I wanted to be out all the time. I didn't want to be home with my kids. I didn't want to be home with my family. I wanted to be out and I wanted to be partying with my girlfriends. And if I was here at home, I was having people over. So it was just a constant, it was a constant party. I didn't want to stop and be sad. But then of course, you know, you get till two in the morning and you're just like a hot mess, sobbing on the bathroom floor, wondering why you can't get your life together. (laughs) So it was just a mess. It was a total mess. I literally did that for two years. I did two years of just like, go, 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 drink, 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 just ignore everybody in my family and just try to numb out. And then March 9th was the day that she passed away. March 9th, 2020. Yeah, so she passed away in 2018. 2020 was the two-year anniversary of her death. On March 9th, I I woke up. I had been out the night before. It wasn't even the night before. It was so ridiculous. It was my kids had a like a we had a celebration for them at an Italian restaurant. Like it was a group of friends, all the March birthdays. We were doing a little thing for all the March birthdays of the kids. And so it started out with like, let's have pizza and celebrate the kids. (laughs) Of course, you know, took it to the next level, invited everybody back after all the wheels came off, woke up March 9th, just like it wasn't even like a particularly bad hangover, but it was like just the constant headache hangover coupled with the fact that it was like the two year anniversary of her death. And I was like, I couldn't get out of bed. I could not move. I couldn't get out of bed. People were calling me. My cousin, I remember my cousin who I'm very close to texted me and she was like thinking of you on Aunt T. My mom's name was Terry, Aunt T's anniversary today. And I just remember thinking to myself, why are we calling this an anniversary? Like anniversary is something you're supposed to celebrate. And here, this is like two years since she like literally just dropped dead. And like, why, why is it an anniversary? I just remember staring at the word anniversary and thinking to myself, I'm just going to... F- feel like this every March 9th for the rest of my life I don't want to feel like this anymore and like the calls were coming in Chris sent me flowers I like literally think I opened the door to like the beautiful pink bouquet and I think I like rolled my eyes I was just like this is not helping (laughs) you know nothing was helping I just felt so awful and I don't know I don't know me I just I remember going into the bathroom and I remember looking in the mirror and I remember saying Jesus, I cannot do it anymore. I just can't. I cannot do this anymore. I don't know. I just kept saying, I don't know. I can't do it. And I just thought to myself, what if March 9th meant something else? Like, what if March 9th was something to celebrate? What if 
I didn't have to feel like this anymore. And I was so scared. <laughs> I was so scared because it was like for the for the first time I was saying it to myself. You know, like I knew there was problems. I knew that like I was drinking too much. I knew that like it wasn't great. And I probably could use with like a break here and there. And I tried. I definitely did. You know, like the 30 day breaks. They were always awful here and there. But it was the first time that day where I was just like, oh, okay. This is this is I've said it now to myself, you know? Yeah. And so I don't even like remember that like. The, the, I, I remember like the immediate days following, I think it was a couple days later and I finally said something to Chris and I hadn't said anything to anybody else yet. And I just said, I need to take a break from drinking. I was also like majorly hooked on those. Um, what are they called? The vapes, the jewels. I was like, so I was like doing, I picked that up along the way as well. And I was just like, I just have to take a break from drinking and vaping because I feel horrendous and I really would appreciate it can you please just like not drink for a little bit with me while I figure this out and he was like of course so then the world went into lockdown (laughs) the world went into lockdown which I mean obviously COVID was so incredibly horrendous for so many people but for me it was this massive blessing in disguise because I didn't have to go anywhere and I didn't have to do anything and I just remember I would stand in my shower and I would I would list through literally name by name the girlfriends that I had thinking to myself who was going to stick around if I decided that I didn't want to drink with them anymore. And I was so scared and I was so scared to tell anybody and I didn't know what it meant. But a girlfriend of mine had recently read The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. Is that what it's called? The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, right? Yes. Am I butch- yeah. Am I butchering? I'm looking at my bookcase. I, so. yeah, the, <laughs> I was wondering if I was combining two titles. Yeah, it's right here. The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober by Catherine Gray. And I was like, oh, okay. This is like other people are struggling with this too. <laughs> and it's so funny because this girlfriend of mine, she's one of my closest friends. She had read the book the previous September and I gave her such a hard time. I was so mean to her. I was like, I can't believe you're doing this to me. Who am I going to like go out with? You're ruining everything. I was so mean to her. But it was the first title that I kind of had heard of. And so I read that and then it was like, oh, okay. So of course, you know what Amazon does. It serves you up sometimes what you need. <laughs> and so the next one that came down the pipeline was um, The Snake in Mind. And I was just like, you know, she opens with the 3 a.m. wake up and you're just like, oh my gosh, Annie, me too. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. I can't go anywhere. The only thing that we're allowed to do is like go on one like outdoor walk a day. And thankfully, I live right next to Battersea Park here in London. So I would put my headphones in and I would lap Battersea Park with the dog and I would listen to Annie Grace and then I would listen to Holly Whitaker and Laura McCowan and the whole like, you know, the normal the normal list that we do. Thank the Lord. All these women are just in my head and I'm thinking to myself, okay, if they can do this, I can do this. And I never said forever. I never said forever. And when anybody would ask me like, oh, you're not drinking. Oh, that's cool. Like I'm drinking so much more. We're in the middle of a pandemic. How are you doing this? And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm just not not drinking today. And the way that I felt me, the drastic changes in my sleep, in my mood, in my marriage, in my relationship with my children, 
you know, I was really lucky because I was trapped, you know, <laughs> I, I sometimes joke it was like my self-imposed rehab where I was just in, I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't see anybody. So I literally dove head first into all of this. I did Alan Carr webinars. I did anything I could think of just to like keep learning. And everything that I read made sense because I was feeling the change at the same time. You know, I think that's so important. You can read and know all these facts, but if you don't feel it and know it in your body and feel it in your bones and know it, believe it in your head, as we'll talk about, I'm sure, a lot, it, you don't you don't digest it in the same way. So I don't know. I was just like feeling really good and I I started to get a little mouthy and vocal on my personal Instagram. And of course, everybody is stuck at home staring at their phones. So I was like, hey, guys, I, I'm at three months and I haven't had a drink. And one of my girlfriends from Bible studies sent me an AA like three month chip. And I was like, oh, this is cool. So then I posted the chip. And then someone was like, oh, my gosh, are you sober? I'm like, I don't know. And then it was just like and every day, not every day, but like I was posting regularly. Right. And it was like, I am feeling so much better. And it was people asking questions after question after question. And I was like, oh, this is really, you know, like I think I'm helping people somehow a little bit. And then the world slowly started to open up. And I was like, hey, guys, guess what? I went on my first like outing last night. It was a double date. And I laughed. And I can't believe I can laugh without alcohol. And then, you know, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. I can't even imagine going out to a restaurant without alcohol. You know what I mean? So it was just wild. And in the process of me getting really open about my journey, I got the email from from Scott over at This Naked Mind. And he was like, we have a coaching program. And I was like, Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to help other women with this struggle. And so, yeah, I went through the whole program and it has been the most amazing thing in the world. I've got a chance to meet you. I've gotten a chance to meet so many other amazing coaches. And now I left my kind of day job. I'm coaching full time where you and I are doing this amazing podcast. And I just feel... Like, I don't even know how to describe how blessed I feel. I know that sounds really cheesy, but that's really how I feel. Like, this is the best job in the world, I think, because you get to meet other people that would have otherwise felt alone, you know, and you get to you get to just like, I don't know, connect and share your struggles and and help them through this this really tricky struggle, which is so wild when you think about the fact that it's just so normalized. It's just so normalized. It's so a part of our culture that everything that we do involves drinking. And so when you feel like you can't drink, or if you feel like wine is somehow getting in the way, the automatic thought is there's something wrong with me. And that is what I thought. I just thought, well, I can't handle this. Or I just have to be able to stick to two drinks. Two drinks has to be the answer. I've got to willpower my way to moderate. I've got to be able to like go out and have like a crazy night in Mayfair and still get up with the kids. Otherwise, you're a bad mom. All of these things. And 
when you learn, and it was actually Holly Whitaker's book where I, I, and I don't know if this is right, but I think one of her chapters used to be called There's No Such Thing as an Alcoholic. I think she might have changed it. Please don't anybody come for me if I'm wrong. But when I read that, that it is literally, it's a, in a you know, it's alcohol is so wildly addictive that it's alcohol's fault. You know, it's not my fault that I can't handle it. Anybody can get hooked on it. And we're not going we're not going to debate the the label alcoholic. We can do that another time. But the fact that it was like it wasn't something wrong with me, right? It wasn't something wrong with me. Like I wasn't there wasn't some crazy defect that I had. This is a wildly addictive drug. Ethanol can get anybody hooked. And if you drink enough of it, like this is how your life is going to end up one way or the other, right? And so it was just like I found so much freedom in that and so much freedom in just learning the science behind why we why we are exhausted and why our mood does change and why we do find life so much more stressful than it needs to be, right? Like I was just making my life so much harder on myself than it needed to be. I just it, it's my life is so it's not easy, but it's it's not unmanageable. And I made it unmanageable by feeling like I did, you know, like all the time. So I don't know. I'm really sorry if that was too long, but oh my gosh, no. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, I have so many questions. And there's so much of your story that the things that you have said, I'm like that I can relate to that so much. And this is one of the things that I love most about the job that we are so, you know, privileged to be able to do and coaching other people through, you know, finding freedom to alcohol from alcohol, but is in that, like, we all have our stories and they're all different. The details are different, but yet the, the similarities are there too. It's that commonality. It's, it's in highlighting those similarities. It's part of that realizing like we are not alone in this. And this is where I love having these platforms where we can share these things because you mentioned several times throughout, you know, kind of your story that, it was that realizing that I'm, I'm not alone in this and how that kind of shifted momentum for you in being able to maybe start to think about maybe the impact that alcohol is having in your life and, and like kind of waking up to like, you know, we, we talk about like existing in that place of like asleep or autopilot, just kind of like, you know, surviving motherhood, yeah. surviving life. And then how alcohol makes this little tiny opening and then slowly, slowly over time, because the more you drink it, the more it, you know, needs more of itself to keep us kind of going. It just becomes at some point we have a wake up that awareness that like this isn't working. And, and I, and I want to do something about that. But the minute we wake up to it, that comes all the fear, right? Like that comes all the, wait a minute, hold up. Like what's going to yeah. change my social world? What's going to change, you know, here. And, and it's painful. Awareness is painful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I just, I was thinking about the little moments that you had that then kind of came together to that finally March 9th. And then the ability to be radically honest with yourself in that moment and saying in the mirror, like, I, you know, like Jesus, like I can't do this anymore and I don't know what this is going to look like, but like, and then, and then hearing that, like, what if, what if I could do this differently? Um, that's where I think, where we talk a lot about how like rock bottom isn't a place where we have to get to, you know, when we can pay attention to those little moments and find those, find those places that allow us to, to open to what's different. So 
when you were talking about your your son this is where what makes me think you know like my my first child is, is a girl and I was obsessed with her and, and, it, and like everything and we struggled to get pregnant and it was you know and I was it was like just thrown into this world and then my second was a, was a boy too and I just like you it was and then it was the judgment that comes that the head noise that comes along that says like you're you're a terrible mom if you don't want to be with your baby right now and then you know we're comparing to our other and so how it starts also this slow the the an inner critic is there and the inner critic is loud and oh yeah if we're not paying attention to it 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 keeps pulling us further and further down and so i was i was curious how much how aware were you of what that judgment of self looked like at the time when you were like you know what did that look like for you that internal noise Oh my gosh. Well, I did not. I mean, I didn't even know anything about mindfulness or thought work or recognizing our thoughts, right? I didn't know any of that then. So to me, it just felt like being very lost, feeling very, very alone, not feeling like I could tell anybody how I was feeling because Mm -hmm. it felt so shameful. And the weird thing about postpartum too, right? And maybe you can relate to this. is like nobody talks about it until it's like, too late or like in the rear view right so it's like Mm -hmm. I remember finally saying oh my gosh I had such bad postpartum with Carter and friends that were had kids the same age as Carter were like oh me too and I'm like then why were we sitting around drinking (laughs) and not talking up and not talking about the fact that we were drowning (laughs) right yes so wild that's so that's so true and and how much of that is like what we project out and how much time we spend maybe, you know, very unconsciously to a degree of like pretending like everything is okay. And whether we're, you know, keeping it from ourselves and we're, you know, denying the, maybe the signals that say like, okay, like, you know, let's do something about this. Or I don't want to, I don't want anyone else to know about this and, you know, all kind of playing in the background, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, not aware at all, not aware at all. And I think part of the work that we both do in helping clients recognize that, you know, if a thought comes into your head, like recognize it, but, but you don't necessarily have to either act on it and you can rec, you can recognize the story that you build around it and, and all of the things that we've learned, you know, oh gosh, I mean, that all of that stuff would have been really great back then, but yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't know any of it you know I just you don't stop to you don't stop you don't stop to even think about your thoughts if that makes sense totally yeah no I and that's I didn't realize my thoughts were separate than me you know and yeah like they weren't me to to even know to pay attention to that I think that's part I think that's one of the effects that alcohol has is that it it keeps us in that lower leveled space where we're not able to even if we maybe heard something, we wouldn't even, because our senses are, are numbed and dulled. Even when we're not actively drinking, you know, everything is just more dulled. So we're, we're not likely going to pick up on that stuff. But hitting yeah. that point where finally, like, it, the, like the pain of staying the same is bad enough that it has us paying attention to that. Gosh, like how lucky that we didn't have to, you know, have a rock bottom to get to that place where we could do something about it and how drastically different that could look. Yeah. Yeah. 
Totally. I wish that someone had told me like nobody, I, I don't, is it Annie that says that like nobody's coming to rescue you, which like sounds really sad and depressing, but it's so true. Like nobody, is, nobody was coming to rescue me. I had to do the cost benefit of analysis of is wine like taking more than it's giving. It was a hundred percent taking way more than it was giving from my life at that time. And so I had to, to decide to like at least try without it at least try, which I think is probably the scariest, most difficult step is just to like, it's just to try. But once you do and you start to feel better, you're like, oh, okay. You know, so I wish that nobody had told me that someone was coming to rescue me. I remember there were definitely nights where I was Googling like fancy rehabs and centers like in the countryside, like in the Cotswolds. And it was honestly me. It was just because I really wanted a break and I wanted to go away. And I thought, okay, I could stay somewhere pretty. And then like maybe not drinking for a while would like help me. But it was just, it was really because I just needed a break, right? I just wanted to rest. But the thing that got me was like my drinking isn't bad enough. My drinking isn't bad enough. Like I've, you know, I've gone through my story. It sounds like I was a a real ripper, but to the outside world, right? To the outside world, it was just, I had a really glamorous life in London and I was, I had, you know, I was doing all the great things with a glass of rosé or champagne in my hand and wasn't it pretty? And that was the thing too, like on that day, on the March 9th day, I remember sitting with my Instagram And I was just like scrolling over it. And I just, I was like, oh, this is just not real. None of this is real. Because I looked pretty and I looked put together and I was in great places and I was like doing all the cool things, but it was just like fake and it felt empty and it felt like I, I would post that picture and then be in bed for like, you know, two days trying to not hate myself so much, you know? And so it was just like, I just got to a point where I was just like, I've had enough. I've had enough of this. I don't want to be this person anymore. And that's, you, you said too, that like the trying differently, that's what I think. And also you mentioned like, you never said I'm going to do this forever or, you know, it's like, I'm just not drinking today. Like that's what I'm doing today. And I think those two things are so, those were like, if someone had told me it's, I mean, when I, and we'll get into mine later on a different, you know, different episode, but like, if someone had just said, Hey, like, why not just try differently? Like you can try it a different way. You're not locked into that. You can go back to the way things were if you want to, which I, you know, I, I coach people through a lot. It's like, you know, trying this thing AF, trying life AF. You can always go back to the other way. If that doesn't work. Always go back. You can always go back. Nobody ever does once they find freedom because it's like what? I mean that would be that would not make any sense however like it's that it's that like just just try something differently and that's where our our minds get so narrow I think and not being able to see all of the other you know opportunities out there like possibilities for for change around our drinking totally and then yeah. with the conditioned around like I don't qualify for that I think that was something that that kept me stuck for so long too it's like but my drinking doesn't look a lot different than anybody else's. I don't have mm-hmm. a rock bottom. If yeah. I wanted to look at a rehab or, you know, AA, like those, like I don't qualify based on what I, you know, what we 
learn about what those things are. I didn't look like someone like that. So I can't have a problem. So how much are we like fighting against ourselves and what, you know, our integrity is kind of coming up to say like, Hey, let's do something different here. And we're going, yeah, but, and that's just, you know, part of, part of like keeping us, keep keeping us stuck doing the thing that we don't want to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even just, even just any sort of, I think, label, any sort of label, even saying you have an alcohol problem was so scary to me. I mean, I, I remember being on vacation somewhere. I, I don't remember where it was, but I just remember as being with a friend and thinking to myself, not being able to drink or being an alcoholic or having a drinking problem sounds like the, I think I said this out loud to my girlfriend, sounds like the worst possible thing that could ever happen to anybody. How could you go and be in a beautiful place and be on vacation and not be able to have a margarita? How in the world could you do that? That would be horrible. (laughs) But it's because of the, I think so much of it, it has to do with the stigma and the label and all of that stuff where you're just like, you have a drinking problem. It automatically means all of these other things that we've been told it should mean. And it means a life of misery. It means a life of life of missing out. It means a life of meetings. And it doesn't have to mean any of those things. It doesn't have to mean any of those things if you don't want it to. Right? And I didn't know that. I think I would have probably been able to free myself from alcohol a lot earlier if I knew that not only was life so much better on this side, but like there was just, you get to choose how you want to do it. Yeah. 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 You have, you, you do have choice, but when you're in that place of like max pain around it, you feel very, yeah, it's like miserable or miserable, like door one or door two, when really there is this door three, there is this other, this other way. And it, and it takes first, I love the way that like, like I keep going back to like you saying like, and I, cause I, I had kind of a moment like that too, like looking in the mirror and having that radical, like honest moment with yourself and conversation with the Lord that, that is kind of like meeting, like, how did that even, like, what did you feel in that moment when you finally like kind of like said out loud to yourself, to the Lord that like, I want to do something differently. What did that feel like? Scary. Really, really scary. Like I, I, I pictured a life that was kind of like that life I was talking about where it was just, it felt like, you know, very much limiting prison sentence vibes where you aren't able to have as much fun, where you probably don't have as very, like as many friends, where you live like a smaller, more dull, less vibrant version of what you do when you're drinking. And it's so the opposite. So, I mean, long, long answer to the question. I was, I was, I was so scared. I had nobody that I, not one person. I'm trying to think if I'm going to, if I'm lying here, but I don't think I am. I didn't know one person that didn't, didn't drink. Yeah, I think that's true. I I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. And my social life, and this was very much because of like my own making too. Like it was my, my social life revolved around alcohol. I mean, I was the party house. Like we were the party house. I used to joke that my my house was called Hotel California because I wouldn't let anybody leave. <laughs> it's me. It's my fault. Like I'm Taylor Swift. I'm the problem. It's me. Okay. It's me. I'm the problem. But you know, I just, I was scared. I was really scared. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love, I love that so much, but yeah, it's, it's, it's you. And then also it's how alcohol keeps, keeps us from being able to see that it's, that it's also the drug, right? Because of the, the messages that we receive that you talk about like the glamorous life. Like I felt like as long as I, you know, as long as I was coming home and, you know, rushing through bedtime and not spending quality time with my family, you know, or keeping them up late at a neighbor's house or whatever while we were drinking, like as long as I'm not neglecting my children and drinking tequila in the corner, then it's okay. Like then, then it's okay because it's wine. And so why, you know, it's wine. I'm coming home and it's, it's part of that glamour. And you, you talked, you talked about that as well. And kind of like what you put on social media and how all of that, it's just to see how all of that is so how it feeds it. Right. And, yeah. and what is projected out that really is masking all of this, I mean, unresolved like pain and yeah. yeah. I mean, gosh, and I'm so, so sorry about your mom. That's, Thanks, babe. that's Thanks. so tough. Um, yeah. Yeah. And how all of that gets combined. And I was thinking about how you said like when the, when Ella, was it when Ella or, or I guess it was when Carter was a baby and you like wine and reality TV, like that was your break. So instead of going and using that time to sleep, you know, it, it's like it, all of a sudden we're, we're not even, we don't even know what we need anymore because of how it kind of takes, takes over. And gosh, how many times did I do that too? Like wine and numbing out is a break or that self care and really seeing how that perpetuates the cycle on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It's so, so true. Yeah. So what, so what would you say now to yourself? Um, you know, like what would you tell, tell yourself looking back, like, or like that moment at the mirror, what would you want Christy on March 9th, 9th to know about? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would tell her so many things. I would tell her that you can have fun without alcohol because that was my last belief that I had to like finally turn around. I really believed that that was that you could not have fun without alcohol. I would tell her that, yes, your friends are going to change, but it's going to be the biggest blessing that you ever, one of the biggest blessings that you ever will receive in your life. And I would probably tell her too, that it like all the firsts are super awkward, right? This is what we tell our clients. Like the first, everything is awkward, but it's not, it's survivable. <laughs> you can do it and it gets easier. It gets easier every single time that you do any sort of first, whether it's the first vacation, you know, the second one is bad. Like everything, everything, the first date night, the first night out with girlfriends, the first kid's birthday party that you have to do without alcohol, all of them, they're always weird and they're always awkward, but they get easier. And if you just know that it's going to be a little bit weird, but it is survivable and it will get better. I think that's, I would think I would tell myself all of those things. Like you're going to have fun. Your friends are going to shift, but it's going to be a blessing. And all the firsts are going to be weird, but you can do it. Those are three things. Those are three things, Mead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. For the, for the sake of time, because we could like, you know, obviously. I could, yeah, I'd love to tell her. I'd love to tell 2020 Christy a lot of things, but um, yeah. I, I love that. I, I think that's our, our fear is the fear of what it will look like without and also the mindset of like, I, I can't do that. I won't be able to do that. And that and that's something you talked to like you hit on too. It's like when you were thinking like 
I'm not going to be able to do this where it's how different it is when you find freedom from alcohol, when you uncover all of those beliefs that tell you there's some benefit to drinking, you know, via the way we do with the naked mind methodology. But like that, where you can get to that point where it's like, no, I don't, I don't have to do that. I don't want to do that. And, and so even just having that, that wake up to that, there's a, there's a different way there's, and it's, and it starts with your thinking and, you know, paying attention to that and seeing how our thinking contributes to keeping us stuck and how our thinking also is changing. Our thinking is the path to freedom as well. It's the, it's the path to choice. It, it opens to choice. You, you know, like I, I, yeah. I love it, all of it. So Aww. good. Thank you for Yay. sharing. Oh my gosh. I, this is so, so good. I, I, I feel the restriction of time on this too, because I'm like, we could talk for, like, I want to like dig into your story, like little bit by little well, it's bit. Like the thing we, we have a whole podcast. I know. I'm like, oh, what do you think about like meeting again next week and really talking about this one little part and then so on and so forth. But, but there's just so much there that's relatable. And I just think it's gonna, it will, thank goodness you, you know, you listened and paid attention to and your gift for being able to help people is just thank you for sharing that with with the world with us of course thanks and i'm excited to um dig into your story next <laughs> yeah that'll be fun i know so i'm like it's similar but different right so so good i will see you later my friend sounds good Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free underscore. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.